1: Hello and welcome to Unheard in our lovely new studio in the middle of London. Um, We have reached the point at the end of the pandemic when we can actually interview people in person, which is of great excitement because I don't know about you, but I was beginning to get tired of those Zoom interviews. And to kick us off, I'm really excited that we have, I guess he's normally described as France's most famous public intellectual, because that's what he is. He's Monsieur Bernard-Henri Lévy. Welcome. Thank you. You've got a new book out. Um, It it, it discusses your whole worldview. It involves a lot of different dispatches from parts of the world where there's suffering. And to me, I guess, it struck me as a sort of almost a defiant book, because the worldview that you're most associated with, maybe the kind of champion of, is a sort of liberal pro-intervention worldview, where Democracy, we hope, would spread across the world. It's been a dominant worldview for decades, and now it seems sort of out of fashion. Did you feel like you were writing it in a spirit of defiance?
2: First of all, I I never was concerned with being out of fashion or not out of fashion. I have my line, my conviction. It never moved since the beginning of my career, and I'm still the same. I believe that democracy deserves to be shared. I believe that there is no places of the world uh, which are unfit for democracy. I believe in human rights. I believe in universality of values and it is not because of the illiberal trend or because of Mr. Putin and Mr. Erdogan being on the move that I'm going to change my opinion. So I never change and I must tell you that this book has a peculiarity. The dispatches which you mentioned to difficult places, uh, unhospitable, difficult of access, these dispatches, these reportages, the real challenge defy, as you said, is that I did them during the year of Covid. I mean, that during the year 2020, Mm. where I was, as you were, assigned to residence, ordered to stay home. This was the motto, the slogan, you remember, Mm. stay home in order to be with others, Uh, confine yourself in order to be solidar. I hated that. So I decided more than ever to show the example, so to, you went abroad, you went, went to Mogadishu, to Syria, to Nigeria, to see the murders, the massacre of Christians on large scale by Boko Haram and others, and so on. So this book is my diary of my reportage and the dispatches which I took of that during the year of COVID. So
1: what's interesting is that obviously we've just had Afghanistan with the end of the US involvement in that. To many people, it feels like that worldview that democracy should be exported where possible, that uh, values are universal, um, that one should intervene in places that are suffering. It seems like the last 20 years has not been very good in terms of evidence for that. So I, I, are there are there things that you feel you have learned and changed your mind on about that in the last I never minute.
2: say, I never said that democracy has to be exported. What I say is that where you have some Democrats, if you have some Democrats in a place or in another, we have the moral duty and sometimes the political duty to help, to encourage, to embrace. to to reinforce, not to export. You have to have first the existence of a strong political force. For example, today, uh, Kurdistan, maybe. Uh, For example, the Iraqi Kurdistan, called KRG, this autonomous area in Iraq, uh, defended by Peshmerga, and people by Kurds, they are Democrats, as much as we are. They love democracy. They want equality of gender between women and men. We don't have to export. So I just want us to be reliable allies. Afghanistan.
1: But can you, Yeah, I mean, let me just come back on that, because you, the Kurdistan example is almost the exception isn't it, that proves the rule because it's a Muslim country. But as as you've said yourself, they show signs of some of these same values. You know, there was Pew uh, research polling from Afghanistan. And in so much as we can trust any opinion polls from a place like that, it showed very, very strong majorities in favor of Sharia law. So what do you say to that if there are Democrats, but they're in a small minority, mainly confined to the big cities in a place like Afghanistan? What should a liberal Democrat want?
2: Do you know what the polls would have said in 1988 about the importance of democratic party in Russia, in Poland, in Hungary, in Czechoslovakia? You would have probably said that the Poles were poor and that they were a little minority, maybe confined to big cities, Few months after, you had this overwhelming movement of people daring to go to the street and to cut the wall. I think that in Afghanistan, it's not the same, but it could be comparable. I know Afghanistan not too bad. I went at least since a long time, since 40 years, I went many times. What I can say is that there is a growing movement of women uh, in particular, wishing equality, wishing to unveil their face, refusing the law of Taliban. Are they majority, minority? Is it in the city? Is it countryside? I will not enter in details, but what I know is that the number grows from year to year and that we had the moral duty of supporting and that we denied, we betrayed this moral duty, and that it is a huge moral fault and political mistake.
1: So what would you have us do then? The West has been in that conflict, in that area for 20 years. Um, The deaths have gone up and down. Most recently, there were fewer, but that was in part because of the exit deal that had been negotiated. The government collapsed incredibly quickly, which to some people revealed just how weak and how inauthentic it was in his administration, what would the BHL prescription be? Should we just still have troops there for another 10 years? The BHL
2: prescription exists. I published 20 years ago, 20 years. It is available in the Middle East Institute book publishing house. It's available with a preface, a foreword of General Petreus, 20 years ago, I released a book which was my prescription to my president, Jacques Chirac, after a few months in Afghanistan, after the, after the fall of the first Taliban 2001. I was sent by Chirac in Afghanistan. I was his special envoy. I went all over Afghanistan and I made a report. My prescriptions are there. It's twofold. Number one to help those who want to build a real administration, which we did not do. We we sent uh, tons of money without checking uh, the the real channels. Uh, We left corruption to prevail and so on. And number two, to, to believe in geopolitics, which means not to make war, just to have a presence In Afghanistan, a few weeks ago, just before the um, withdrawal of America, how many soldiers there were? Two or 3,000, no more. They were not in war operation. They were just in their barracks at the end of the day, since a few years. But their symbolic presence, the fact that they were there was like a shelter Permitting the women to unveil, permitting the little girls to go to school, permitting your colleagues, journalists in Afghanistan of Tolo News and others to do their job. My prescription was that America and UK and France have troops, but America more. Troops all over the world. In Korea, in uh, in Germany, <laughs> in Europe they have troops in so many places so what was the cost of leaving 2500 3000 troops on a non combat mission it was a non combat mission to to let them there just to manifest that we care that we have a politic that we are not withdrawing behind the walls of our fortress, that we don't give space and abandon the field to Turks, Russians, and Chinese. My prescription is to say to Putin and Erdogan, we are still here.
1: So there's here, which is Afghanistan. The places that you talk about in this new book include Nigeria, Somalia, Ukraine. It's a lot interesting and varied list would that same principle, if we followed your principle, not lead to a large number of troops in a lot of countries? Because anywhere that is suffering, anywhere where there's a nascent democratic movement that we feel morally obliged to support, we've got to have troops.
2: It is not, Who's going to send it all it these not, troops? I'm not a troop maniac. It is not only troops. Nigeria, for example. Nigeria. A huge scandal is going on in Nigeria. You have. Half of the population of Nigeria who are Christians, who are targeted, killed, massacred because they are Christians. Not because they are farmers against shepherds, not because they are southerners, not because they are Christians. I reveal that in my book. I made an investigation and a reportage To check that and to prove that. So what I would like is, number one, to take that into account, to recognize it, not to listen to all these alleged experts who tell us, no, it's nothing, it is just tribal conflicts. No, it is a large scale massacre. Ignored by the West, ignored by the democracy, and which is based on a religious war. Number one, to take into account. Number two, to exert the appropriate pressures on the govern- government of Nigeria, which is governed by extremist Muslim uh, people, President Buhari and others, the Fulani and who is, of course, vulnerable to to sanctions and to pressures. Let's try by this. Let's try to have leverage with the the fact that, for example, we, UK, France, Europe, America, buy their oil or might not buy. Don't let's... I I saw in the Middle Belt of Nigeria, I saw uh, uh, madrasas created by Turks I saw some uh, 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 strong forces uh, 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 full with the ne- neo-Ottoman uh, uh, creed. Why leave Nigeria to these people? Why? So, what I recommend is just again to be take there.
1: action of some kind,
2: diplomacy, pressure, sanctions, whatever, or we decide that we n- we no longer count. In the scene of the world, it's another option. It is not mine. I think that we are France, we are UK, we have some values. These values, when they are embraced, for example, by the Christians of Nigeria, it's intelligent and it is fair to help.
1: Do you feel, I mean, actually it's a very interesting example, an important one, the Christians of Nigeria, because some people would feel that... Uh, Christian countries should pay particular attention to those kind of crimes because there is a kind of solidarity of faith there. How does that fit in with your the sort of liberal worldview? Is that allowed? It should, should Christians in Western countries care more about the massacre of Christians in Nigeria than cultures that they have less to do with?
2: They should care about massacres in general, they should care about people embracing their values, their our values. And it is incomprehensible, it is impossible to understand when these people calling for help and and uh, wanting to share, are Christians uh, sharing not only our values, but our creed and so on. And I cannot understand. It's true. How, wh- why the Christians in the West um, uh, support so much, and, and that's great, the Christian of Middle East, of Mosul, and I, I pleaded for that a lot, but nothing about the Christians of Nigeria. Why? I don't know. Maybe because of, there is a blackout in the press, maybe because Africa is considered as being remote, but my role, my role is to say, as loud as I can, you have here a population who has an additional reason to be cared about.
1: Mm. I guess I think that that brings us close to the central dilemma, the central question, which is, we talk to lots of people who would be proud liberals, who feel very defensive and excited about the kind of Western liberal tradition but who feel that the best way to protect and preserve and advance it is not to have a kind of universalist vision that it must cover the whole world and that everyone will be going in that direction, but actually you protect it better by saying that there are cultures that are so different that maybe they will get there, maybe they won't, but we should not try to use our own treasure, our own energies to to make that happen.
2: I, I believe from the bottom of my heart that I know this way of, of thinking, it's a big mistake. It's a big mistake because the game is worldwide. And the people whom I confront, if I dare say, in Mogadishu, in Nigeria, Muslim Brotherhood, let's say, uh, extremist Islamists, those people, they have their equivalent in London or in Paris. What happens when the equivalent in Paris see that we, we leave them act, we leave them free to act in Nigeria or Mogadishu? They are emboldened, they are happy, they feel encouraged. Every victory which they make in Nigeria or in Syria, it is an encouragement to fight more in London or in Paris. All of that holds itself. We cannot um, strengthen our model of liberal society at home if we give the feeling that we quit the field and abandon the field in the rest of the world.
1: I guess what happens, though, is politics happens and the home populations of those countries have seem to have changed their mind on this. You know, so if you're a liberal and a democrat, which I know you are, it must be important if the majority of people within the United States, within the UK, don't want those kind of foreign adventures.
2: How do you square that? Major- if, if, the, ma- if the Majority is not the point. Majority, majority is the point for a prime minister, of course, or for a president, but for a whistleblower, for an intellectual, public or non-public, or whatever, question is not majority. question is to say what one feels to be the truth. And if you are alone to say it, even more important, louder you have to, 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 to shout. And you have to go against majority. If the majority does not want to hear, you have to try your best to help them to open the ears, the ears.
1: But that hasn't worked very well in the last few years, has it? And, it, and you know, we've had these populist revolts, uh, and in part they were revolts against that kind of universalism, against the idea that we should be spending so much energy in faraway lands when there were things at home that needed more attention. The, the attitude of, of a certain type of liberal to those populist revolts a little bit like you just said, now they need to be educated out of their mistakes, basically, doesn't seem
2: to have worked. Do you, it depends. It did not work in the 50s of the 20th century. In France, for example, we had this populist movement very strong. Then they were defeated by uh, the return to power to General de Gaulle, who was an universalist. Then it was a high wave for a long time. Now it's uh, low and the populist uh, did gain some ground, this is the holy story. It depends, back and forth. We are in a moment where these sort of ideas, which I defend, are on low tide.
0: Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
2: I'm not discouraged by that. I don't believe that it means that I'm wrong. I continue and I do hope that I will see a reversal of the tide. I do hope it.
1: Not. What about also adapting your worldview to, to the evidence? I mean, when if you have these revolts, doesn't it show that the settlement that came before wasn't perfect and there were things about it that
2: weren't working? Of evidence of what? I was in Mogadishu, in Somalia. I saw hell on earth. There is a depiction of that in the book. There is a whole chapter in Mogadishu. I think that I am one of the very few journalists who have gone there since 20 years. Okay. Hell on Earth and a huge void occupied by Qatar and by Turks. Okay. I only raise the question. Let's even forget hell on earth. Maybe we are become so egoist that we don't care. But in terms of interest, of national interest for Europe or for UK or for America, it is stupid to leave such a big land, such a base to uh, Turks and to Erdogan. In terms of national interest, it is nuts. That's what I say.
1: But if you now stand on the podium in France or in London or in America and say, vote for me, I want to increase our attention in Somalia and start putting money and possibly troops or maybe efforts in that,
2: no, I mean, I I don't think you will win. I will certainly not win. Uh, And I will never do that because I'm not a politician. But I will lose. But I will probably explain before losing that it costs much more. It costs more to leave Erdogan, to leave Putin, to leave Xi Jinping in China, to leave Iranians, to leave brotherhood, Muslim brotherhood. It costs more to leave them, advance, push their advantage, put the foot on uh, uh, a growing number of um, places than to prevent and contain. Containment of barbarity. Containment of totalitarianism, containment of all sorts of fascism, costs less than abandoning the field to them. This is why I would explain before being beaten in the in the votes. So you you
1: mentioned China there, um, and once again I have to ask you that question: that the argument for around China 20 years ago, was very similar to what you're saying now, that if they were brought in, they would develop in a Western style direction, that affluence would mean more of a democracy, they would liberalise and so on. And instead, we've got this quite frightening sort of mutant strain of a Western style democracy. Do you feel that you got that wrong? Do you feel the West got that wrong? Should we have just contained them by excluding them more from the economy? or What what lessons can we learn from the Chinese experience?
2: We have to... I I never said that that we had to encourage the Communist Party to develop and to take control of his uh, country. What I said 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, was that we had the duty of protect and defend the dissidents, for example. I was expelled from China in 19... uh, 98 or 99 because I went there in a movie festival and I <laughs> dared to defend and to speak in favor of a dissident. This is what I said, and I still believe it, we, and I, I think that we did not do that enough. So defend the dissidents, not to accept like uh, stupid morons or beggars the uh, belt and uh, the, uh, the road of silk. Road. Road which they are building now, uh, not to accept uh, in Africa their condominium with uh, Turkey and with uh, 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 Russia to expel the West from this part of the world. Uh, I, I don't believe that we have to exclude China. I believe that we have to intelligently, cleverly confront, not leave the ground, confront have a real a proper diplomacy, not to be like, uh, uh, again, a stupid morons swallowing all the propaganda of the Chinese when they say that they are doing the well of, uh, of humanity, that they are cre- creating prosperity, and so on. I say that we should not be on the defense, on the defensive position, as we are today. We, not the West, the Democrats. If the West was under, uh, thanks God not, but fascist law, if we were in the 30s, in the 30s of last century, I would not say that. But today, most of our countries are democratic. They really practice and improve the equality between uh, women and men, the democratic practices, and so on. So this we have to be proud of. We have to be at this moment proud of what the West is.
1: You've been a big fan of America during times where America was less popular, more popular, um, and it seems from your writing that you support their role as a a leader of the free world, a kind of policeman of a kind. Um, A lot of people thought it was Donald Trump that was bringing in this new, more isolationist America. But it turns out, post one election and with new President Biden, that he seems pretty isolationist as well. So it wasn't just the Republicans who were for America first. What's your reaction to that?
2: Again, I'm sorry. I never said that, as for myself, I never said that it was only Donald Trump. I wrote a book before this one a few years ago, saying that the isolationist trend of America started with Barack Obama. And started with the day, August 29, 2013, when Barack Obama decided not to respect his own red line in Syria. This day, something started. And in this previous book, which is called The Empire and the Five Kings, I even said that it was older than that, even years before. So it's a big trend in America, which has started 10, maybe 20 years ago. It's a big trend, of course. It is not reduced to to Donald Trump. And Biden today embodies that. For me, the the terrible thing... Does that is,
1: disappoint you, though? Are you disappointed by President Biden?
2: Of course. I am disappointed by the way in which he, he um, validated the choice of Trump. Uh, Trump dreamt, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, Biden did it. True, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan is a joint operation. Trump, Biden, conceived by Trump, executed by Biden. So there is no, uh, in this case, uh, not no many reasons to be proud of Biden on that regard.
1: I got to come back to this question, though, because if strong majorities of Democrats and strong majorities of Republicans support that move. And if we are true Democrats, isn't this not an example of the liberal democracy that we are championing, functioning very well, because they were in favour of the Iraq War when it happened. They've witnessed the loss of of blood and money and and energy that that has taken over the decades. And the public, the the citizens of that polity have decided they don't want to do that anymore. And so the politicians have responded, is this not a success story for liberal
2: democracy? No, because liberal democracy is not only the rule of number, of numbers. Liberal democracy is also the rule of law. And even if the numbers disagree with the law, both are still valid. Liberal democracy is a mix, an encounter between number, law, institutions, a sort of civilization and of practices. This is number one. Number two, the uh, number who are moving from the idea of uh, endorsing our responsibility. It is not just that they saw that we spent badly uh, the money of the citizens in Iraq. It is not only that. If it was only that, they would say, uh, come on, Mr. Governance. For the next case, for Afghanistan, we want to check. We want to verify the way to ask you accountable of how you spend. No, no. Alas, it is also a big trend in public opinion, which is an egoist trend, which is a trend uh, leading uh, an increasing number of people to believe that their interest is a selfish interest reduced to the little home of their narcissism and this is not liberal democracy this is something else a new pattern of society which you have by the way in some countries of europe like hungary for example and which has not to be blessed an intellectual is not here or a journalist just to bless all that is happening in what is happening Things have to be blessed and things have to be uh, confronted. Uh, Liberal democracy is not amor fati, amor fati, love of destiny. No.
1: So within those societies that you've just talked about, there are trends that I think are really concerning that seem illiberal. Uh, They've come out recently and frankly they're coming as much from the left as from the right. There's not really a political blame here. Uh, we're, I'm talking about free speech coming under attack, so m- more and more things unable to say, active censorship from the tech companies. Does that worry? Do you think we are somehow importing some of these illiberal values yes. inside our society? We are.
2: We are. Yeah, yeah, Of course. The woke culture, the cancel culture, uh, attacks on freedom of speech... I know it comes from the left, but it does not deserve, in my eyes, more indulgence because it comes from the left than if it came from the right. For me, the new political dividing line crosses the left and the right and implies problems at those which you are just mentioning. We have to adapt our mind, our behavior, our way of acting adapted to these new dividing lines and cancel culture attacks to freedom of speech is really a huge problem on which we have to be very uh, to care how does the pandemic
1: feature in that discussion because you know there's illiberal tendencies in free speech and then there's actually locking people in their homes and not allowing them to leave on the grounds of public health interests it, this was a policy that came out of China and came very rapidly around the Western world. It sounds like you pretty much left France for the lockdown, so you didn't experience it. But what was your view of that? Was that troubling to the principles of individual liberty, due process, and freedom?
2: Of course, it um, it reduced uh, some liberties Uh it uh, it did speed, it accelerated a process which was already going on which consists in tracing all of us, collecting data on us and so on and so on. So I may understand that it was necessary for a while, but number one, it has to be just a while. (laughs) Number two, citizens should be asking guarantees that when the while is over, these uh, liberticide measures will be, uh, will be destroyed. Number three, as for myself, I lived this time as a terrible time. This is why I, ex- I, I escaped to Syria, Iraq, Mogadishu, battlefield in Ukraine in front of Putin during this time, because for me it was, I am impossible to lock, to be, to be honest, I, I, I cannot be locked. Uh, and number four, this period, but this is fate for, in the case, this period has not been a good period for the care of the others, has not been a good period for brotherhood, has not been a good period for internationalism as I conceive it in my, in my book. It was a bad period of, uh, uh, about all of that. What I try is to be conscious of it, to make my my readers conscious of that, on that, of that, and to convince them to to go to step out as quickly as possible of this terrible period.
1: It's thrown up its own miniature rebellion, hasn't it? We see on the streets of of Berlin, of London, and indeed in France. Regular protests against vaccine passports, against what seems to be steps towards mandatory vaccination? I don't
2: protest myself against vaccine no. passports. No. But
1: but is you, when you observe the people that do, do you see a parallel with previous populist moments? And do you think it's important not to sort of demonise them and, and try to exclude them and shut them down because that probably might make things worse? Or what is your view on how to deal with that?
2: I don't like to demonise uh Anyone. Uh, I I am a man of word of uh, I try to convince, I try to plead, I try to. Ideas is a battle. Battle supposes lab, like an arm wrestling. It supposes to uh, in which sense goes the biggest force. This is the only question. These anti-vax people, they are conspirationists. Some. So, a lot of them, as confederationists, uh, They have a stupid uh, conception of health. Uh, uh, they are, uh, they in France, they hate Macron uh, because I don't know what they want. So they have to be combated.
1: But... They might think they're your... Your people—they are—they are missing and defending the liberal world order that that you're talking about. They no, want their freedoms. They want due process. They no, don't want to be no, shut in. No, no, they want they, to make their own decisions. Maybe they're in, seen from a different light. No, there, because
2: I listen to them, I listen. I, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm ready, of course, to hear. I try to hear everything. They are not. They pretend to be in favor of liberal freedom, but when you ask them what they want majority of them or big lot of them, what they want, what is the ideal regime for them, it is not a liberal one in France.
1: Let's bring the conversation to a conclusion nearer home then. So we've got Britain and France. How worried are you about the situation in France at the moment? We have an uh, election is, is coming up. There are characters like Eric Zemmour, um, who is proving remarkably popular with some of his ideas um a different form of right wing than, than Le Pen. Do you feel that you need the people of your political persuasion need to be more intelligent this time about combating their popularity, otherwise they might win?
2: It's difficult to be <laughs> to decide to be more intelligent. You have to be as intelligent as you can. And um
1: so how, how will you defeat friend,
2: uh, uh, Considering France, you quote Zemmour, you have to show, you have to try to show that Zemmour is not a new way of being far-right, for example, you said that. No, not a new way. It's the same way. He's uh, pumping the votes, the polls of Marine Le Pen and, uh, and incorporating them to him, but it's the same. Number one, you have to... S- I would like to be able to say that he is falsely sophisticated and uh, and fond of history and so on. I don't think he is so much. Number three, uh, it seems to me useful to say that his conception of France is a tiny, retracted um, conception of France, little France, like... Uh, like in UK, when you had the debate in Brexit, they wanted the uh, uh, UK great again. The result is that they made England uh, more, more and more little.
1: You mentioned Little England or the and De- Great Britain, and great Britain the, yeah. the, the, the Brexit discussion, and you were very vocal about that. You came to London, You you wrote a play, you pleaded with the British people, do not do this. You felt it would be an abandonment of the ideals it hasn't so far turned out so bad, has it? I mean, the the UK has just done a partnership with the US and Australia that does not seem to imply little England, especially. I know that it was upsetting to Monsieur Macron. Do you feel that some of your fears about Brexit were unfounded?
2: I don't feel, but I hope. I hope that they are unfounded, of course. I love this country. Uh, as I often said, I would not be born without uh, the sacrifice of uh, British young boys on D-Day, so I hope I was wrong, but...
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Alas, let's wait to see what happens in what happens in uh, Ulster in Northern Ireland with uh, the uh, Ireland of Dublin. Let's wait. Let's wait to to see what happens in Scotland. I don't know. Uh, it appears that I arrive in London on a day when the newspapers are full of the shortage of fuel for the cars, of the shortage of people to work in. I don't want to enter into detail, but the situation, honestly, of UK for the moment, I fear that it gives more reason to the arguments I had on Cadogan Hall three years ago than to the arguments of Mr Farage.
1: So the Conservative Party is meeting today in Manchester for their party conference. Boris Johnson, is he to you a liberal who has done some things that you might not like, like support Brexit? Or do you feel he is, as some people do, a a dangerous populist of some kind?
2: I think that nobody knows who is Boris Johnson, including himself. He doesn't know himself if he is still a liberal or already a dangerous populist. From outside, it seems to me that it depends on the day. It depends on the hour. It depends on the mood. He's a strange guy. Boris Johnson, honestly. I'm sure that if I had met him uh, 20 years ago when he was a journalist in Brussels, he was a jolly and, and, and sympathetic guy. Today. It seems more often more often, to look like a, a Victor Orban a man, uh, a populist without authority, me, me, authoritarianism, but a populist than his uh, buddy Macron, for example.
1: We shall see. Monsieur Henri Levy, thank you so
2: much. Bye, thank you.
1: That was Bernard Henri Levy, better known as BHL or BHL in France. You may agree with him, you may disagree with him, about the need to project Western values around the world and not leave any corner of the earth to different value systems. But what you can't deny is his energy and his passion and the way he defended that worldview so well. So thanks to him and thanks also for tuning in. This is Unheard.